We're going to read one nugget of wisdom today out of Proverbs chapter 20 as we continue our wisdom teaching series. And it's actually about a word that's batted around all the time inside church walls. And it's the word sin. But don't let it get you downcast because usually when you hear that you get depressed. That's not the case today. Let's read out of Proverbs chapter 20, just verse 9. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin. Raise your hand if you didn't sin this week. Raise your hand if you haven't sinned today yet. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. This proverb is actually about an invitation, though. It's an invitation to be real, to stop pretending that we are perfect, that there's nothing bad about us. We've made no bad decisions. We have no bad attitudes, no bad intentions, no badness whatsoever. The truth is, according to this verse and according to what you just answered my question with, we have all sinned. The New Testament makes this very clear in the book of 1 John. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Can we pop that up there on the screen too? Are we there? Can we go there? There it is. If we claim to be without sin, so those of you that raised your hand and said, I didn't sin this week, you're lying, okay? Because you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. This verse is the spiritual equivalent of the book I mentioned a few weeks ago, Everybody Poops, because it's saying everybody poops, everybody sins, let's just stop pretending and admit it because some great things happen in our lives when we finally admit that we've all sinned. The first great thing that happens is we get to remove our masks. Because let's be honest, most of us go through our days with some sort of emotional mask of pretense on. And we wear these masks for fear that if someone sees our real selves, if they get a glimpse behind the mask, they'll shriek and run away, horrified by our humanness, by our shortcomings and warts and sins. So we dare not let anybody see the truth of our real selves. We hide it from ourselves, from others, and even from God, if that's possible. But the mask gets so heavy and so uncomfortable. I just got finished reading a book called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. And in it, the author said the most amazing thing about masks. And I want to put this up and read it, okay? Can we? There is a price we pay for wearing a mask. Masks cause little deaths, little soul deaths. And next slide. That might be all there is. There's more to it. Okay, I'm going to read it for you. Mask cause a little death, little soul deaths. When you wear a mask, nobody, not even you, gets to find out how you really are. When you wear a mask, nobody, not even you, gets to find out what you really need. And when you wear a mask, nobody, not even you, gets to find out what you really have to offer. Wearing a mask is not a good way to live. And it's terrifying to take off those masks and stop pretending, but we have to because it's a glorious freedom. When we finally take off our masks, we are free to admit our failures to ourselves and to others and even to God. And by the way, in case you're wondering, God sees behind your mask anyway. If you're trying to fool him and think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appease God by appearing sinless before him, okay? He sees your real self. He sees behind the mask. Look at this verse. It's a little later on in, in Proverbs chapter 20. The human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one in, one's inmost being. So God sheds a light on your inmost being. He says, oh, that's who you really are. You don't need to pretend to me. I see it already. And when we take off our mask, here's the truth. Sure, some might reject us for being honest, for being human, okay? But here's the good news. Some people won't. 
And though while some people will reject us for being raw and real and human and stopping our pretense, some people won't. And in fact, they'll love us for being that honest. They'll love us all the more and they'll cheer us on for taking off our masks. And you might ask, well, why? Why would they cheer us on for being so honest? Several reasons. The first is because it'll give them the courage to take off their masks. I don't know if you were like me, but when I was growing up, I learned to swim. In the 70s, man, you learned to swim right away. I don't know why, but everybody took swimming lessons, or your parents just threw you in the pool as a young kid and made you kind of swim to save your own life, okay? And both of those kind of things happened to me. But I remember taking swimming lessons, and then as you took swimming lessons, you gained courage because you noticed the diving board, and you thought, well, I can swim now, which meant I can dog paddle, but I can swim now, I can make it to the edge, so you went off the diving board, and then one day you saw it. You saw the high dive. You never noticed it before because you're always focused on the water, but now you saw it glimmering up there in the heavens, and you think to yourself, ooh, I want to go off that. But you're way too afraid. Remember that fear? You're way too afraid. But we all have that one friend, right? That one friend that always just goes, oh, screw it, I'm going. We all have that friend. And your friend marched up there, and he was everybody's hero, he or she, and they're climbing up the ladder of the high dive and going, oh my gosh, they're going to do it. Little Johnny's going to do it. And little Johnny gets to the edge and stops like this. Remember these scenes? And stops forever. Maybe with little floaties on his arm. And he's just stopping. But then he flails himself off there completely out of control like a chicken having a hissy fit. Okay, And he slaps onto the water. And we're all holding our breath like... Is he dead? Is he dead? And he bobs up to the surface and goes, that's awesome. And so then we all march up there and toss ourselves off like chickens with a hissy fit, okay? His courage, that one person's courage, gave us the courage to do what we always wanted to do. It's the same with us. When we have the courage to take off our mask and actually be honest with the people around us, they'll cheer us on for it because they'll think, oh, now I can do it. Now I can be honest. Now I can be human. Now I can be real. People also love us for taking off our masks because that kind of vulnerability ends up strengthening community. It really does. Again, some people will love us for taking off the mask and being vulnerable. Others, that will scare them away because they can't handle the truth, to quote a few good men. But most of the time, the opposite happens. People don't flee away from us when we're vulnerable. They draw nearer to us. I had the opportunity to help Derek Brando out in one of the classes he teaches at the U of O, and he does a marvelous job, and it's a class on confidence, but it involves a lot of teaching on how to be vulnerability, how to be vulnerable, rather, because vulnerability and confidence go together. And at the end of the term, he takes these students who don't know each other at the beginning of the term. There's about 30 students in the class. And he has them share, he calls it a poetry slam competition, but it's not really a competition. They share poems, but it has to be poems of vulnerability about their life. So they're sharing these poems, and they open up about their emotional baggage and their failures and their sins and their secret and their shame. And I'm watching the clip of it because I couldn't be at that particular class. And it's so intense and raw and real and R-rated most of the time. I was, I was astounded as I was watching it. I was amazed and I was deeply moved. And there were several times I had to push pause on the recording to weep 
It was so deeply moving. I just wept. And what got me the most was after each student shared these remarkably vulnerable poems, basically taking off their mask in front of the whole student audience and with other teachers and professors there as well, they took off their mask. And what got me was after they shared their poems, there was no ridicule. There was no rejection. Nobody left. Instead, there was applause, and there was celebration, and there was acceptance, and there was love, and mostly there was this strong sense of community. They strengthened their bonds with each other by doing these poems. Don't you see? The secrets that we thought would keep people away from us are the very substance God uses to adhere us together. Did you hear that? I want you to know this in the depths of your soul. The secrets you thought would keep others away from you are the very substance that when you share them will adhere you and bring you closer together. My prayer for this faith community, this church, is that we'd all be the kind of people who when we walk in these doors or when we gather together in other places, we would have the courage and the vulnerability to take off our masks to be honest with one another. Because in that honesty and that vulnerability, that's when church gets good. That's when we draw closer together and we really become the definition of a church. And lastly, people will love us for taking off our masks because it makes us nicer. Masks make you mean. Because when you're wearing these emotional masks of pretense, you fool yourself into thinking you're better than other people. Well, look at those sinful little scum-sucking bottom dwellers. Look at all the problems they have in their life. I don't have any problems or faults or failures or warts in my life. I'm a better person than them. And then we think this false sense of virtue gives us license to attack those people. Well, I need to ridicule and reject those people and make fun of them to know, so they can know they're not as good as me. But when we take off our masks, we look at the other people and go, oh my gosh, They didn't meet my high standards, and I don't even meet my high standards anymore. And that kind of honesty makes us nicer to one another. There is a glorious book by Francis Spooford, and if you have the guts to read it, it's called Unapologetic, but it'll blow your mind, okay? I'm just warning you that ahead of time. But he says this. I want to put this quote up on the the stage. A community of acknowledged screw-ups, he uses another word, But anyway, a community of acknowledged screw-ups ought, at least in theory, to be kinder to one another. I found that to be so true. When you acknowledge that you're a screw-up, when you acknowledge that you sin like everybody else does, you're kinder to other sinners because the brokenness in you sees the brokenness in that other person says, ooh, I need to be nice to you, and in hopes that you'll be nice to me, and we'll just all be broken together, but we'll be nice, Okay. So we're totally screwed up in this church, let's admit that, but at least we can be nice to each other and be screwed up together, all right? So, second thing that happens when we're honest with one another and ourselves, um, and we admit that we have sin, first of all, we take off our masks, and second of all, we're redefined. When you finally own the fact that you have sin in your life, you realize, a, a remarkable revelation happens, you realize, yes, I sin. That's something I do in my life, but that sin doesn't define who I am. All of us at some point in our lives, probably multiple times in our life, we ask ourselves that important question, who am I? It's a very important question. There's an old parable about an ancient first century um, rabbi, and he's walking home. He had dinner in the village, and he's walking home to his house, and there's a fork in the road, and one fork leads to his house 
The other fork leads to a Roman military outpost, someplace a, a rabbi, a first century rabbi, didn't want to find himself at. But it's dark and it's late and he's tired and he drank a little too much wine, so he takes the fork and he ends up at the Roman military outpost. And he gets to the wall and realizes, oops, I screwed up, this is not my house. And he hears a voice and it's a Roman centurion, it's a guard on the wall, and he's yelling down at the rabbi, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi's silent, he doesn't say a word. And then so the guard repeats the questions, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi finally answers and he says, how much do they pay you? And he's kind of taken aback. He goes, and he's silent for a while. Then he answers, he goes, well, 100 denarii. And the rabbi says to him, I will double your pay if you will come back to my house with me and ask me those questions every day of my life. Who am I and what am I doing here? Important, important questions. And that question, who am I, is a question that scientists and songwriters and poets and philosophers and preachers have wrestled with down through the ages. So who are we? Let's ask that today. Well, some would say, you are what you eat. I hope not, because that means several times a week, I'm a burrito. And I really think that I'm a little bit more than that as a person than a burrito. And others would say, they would get all scriptural with you and say, I'll tell you who you are. You are dirt with a personality. You are soil with a soul. And they're referencing Genesis chapter 1, this Genesis poem that begins the Bible where it says, God created all mankind out of the dust of the earth. But those answers don't seem to satisfy with us. They really don't seem to encapsulate who we are. So what we do to find out who we are next is we label ourselves. We attach these labels to ourselves thinking, if I label myself, I'll know who I am. So we label ourselves. If somebody goes, who are you? We go, well, I'm a dad, or I'm a mom, or I'm an aunt, or uncle, or sister, or brother. And that doesn't fully do it either. So we move on to labeling ourselves by our occupation. Who am I? Well, I'm a preacher, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a policeman, or I'm a nurse. And again, that doesn't do it. So we move to our passions. Well, I'll tell you who I am. I'm a rock climber, or I'm a musician, or I'm an artist, or I'm a runner, or I'm a stamp collector, whatever. And that doesn't do it either. So we go on to what we belong to. Well, I'm a church member, or I'm a member of the Democratic Party, or the Republican Party, or the Independent Party, or I'm a member of the Duck Booster Club. And then some people label themselves by their sexual orientation or their religion or their race. And then other people go dark and they attach horrifying labels to themselves. I'll tell you who I am. I'm an outcast. I'm unwanted, unnecessary, unloved. I'm a failure. Those kind of things. None of these labels fully encapsulate who we are, especially the negative ones. So what we do next, and maybe many of you have made this journey, we think to ourselves, okay, it's time that I go to church because the preacher will have all the answers. I can't even say that without laughing, okay? The preacher will have all the answers, so he'll give me or she'll give me a label that will finally define who I am. So we walk into a church and we get a label all right, and then we walk out and this is the label we get. I'll put it up on the screen. Sinner. That's the label we get. Are you kidding me? That is a horrible label and it's a big fat lie it's not even true we struggle with sin but sin doesn't define us sin is not who we are Walt Whitman the famous poet had one of the greatest quotes of all time if you don't remember anything else I say today remember this look what he says and I'll apply it to this point okay 
Re-examine all you have been told and dismiss what insults your soul. Some of you have bought the label sinner and you believe that's who you are and you have attached to your life and you've done it for decades. As a pastor, I am so sorry. I'm apologizing on behalf of pastors and priests everywhere. I'm so sorry. And what I'm telling you here today is take that label off yourself, tear it up and throw it away forever forever because it's an insult to your soul and this is where the bible comes in really handy okay because the scriptures actually give us some labels that are good for us and help us answer that question who am i and two verses pop to mind this week and i want to go over them check these out the first one is genesis chapter 1 verse 31 it's a short little verse says this god saw all that he had made And it was good, actually. It wasn't very good. It was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. That's out of Genesis chapter 1. It's verse 31. And Genesis opens with this brilliant poem. And God creates everything else before he creates mankind. He creates the mountains and the rivers and the skies and the planets and slimy things and crawly things and tiny things and big things. The whole works, okay? And then he stands back like the master artist that he is. And he looks out at all he's created and he exclaims these words. He says, it is good. That was actually a misprint there that said it is very good. He says, it is good. But then he creates people as his crowning achievement. And they're different because people have a soul and a sense of self and opposable thumbs and they have dreams and passions and personalities. They can love and be loved. They can do all of these things. And he has really outdone himself here. So after he creates humankind, he stands back again and he looks out at humans, at all of mankind, and he adds a word. That's when he says, it's not, he doesn't say it is good. He says, it is very good. Or in the original translation, it is good, good. Or my favorite translation, it is good with muchness. How great is that statement, okay? And there's actually a particle in this sentence that goes along with the gesture of pointing at something and calling attention to it. So what God is doing, he's standing back and he's looking at mankind and he's pointing out at mankind, all of humanity, all through the years, all of us included. He's looking at all of mankind and he's pointing and he's calling the attention of all creation to look at mankind and he's saying, these people are good with muchness. Now there's a label for you. Sin is what we do. It's what we fall into. It's what we get entrapped in sometimes, but it is not who we are. We are good with muchness. That's scripture number one. Let's look at the second one out of First Peter chapter 2, verses 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. The Apostle Peter was addressing a gathering like us, just young, old, all different ages of Jesus followers, and he's trying to answer that question for them, who are you? And he tells them who they are. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. How awesome is that? These are some great labels. Let me unpack them, okay? First of all, we are a chosen people, We are handpicked by God. We are wanted by God. And that's a game changer for our lives. 
Toni Morrison, the author, was asked one time in an interview, she was asked, what made you become a writer? And her answer was so unique and so surprising to people. I'll put it up on the screen. I love this. She says to the people who are asking her that question, why did you become a writer? She goes, I became a writer because every time I walked into a room, my father's eyes lit up. That's why I'm a writer. Because she knew she was wanted by her dad, that sense of being chosen, of being accepted, of being loved, gave her the strength and the desire to go out and live the life she knew she was destined to live. And it's the same for us. When we know that we're chosen by God, that he doesn't have to have us, he doesn't have to love us, he wants to love us, that's a game changer. It empowers us to go out and live out our destinies. And the second thing that we're told is we're a royal priesthood. We are royalty. I just binge watch all six seasons of Downton Abbey. Don't judge, okay? It's a good show. Who knew, okay? I got totally addicted to it, all right? And I'm watching it, and what happens when you're watching shows like Downton Abbey that are about royalty is partway through the watching, you're thinking to yourself, I can relate because I'm royalty. And you're not being arrogant, okay? And it's the truth. We are much more. We're not just Jessica and Tim. In reality, we are Lady Jessica and Lord Tim, and you can call us that if you want to, okay? (laughs) We are royalty, and that might be hard for some of you to accept. Look at this verse out of Psalm 113. There's a lot of slides today. This is great, okay? He, God, raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with the princes, with the princes of his people. What he's saying is, all of you I have reconciled you to myself and raised you up out of the dust heap, and now you're royalty. You're at the table with princes. That means we're royalty. How great is that? And we're also priests. I just got done doing last night my fourth wedding this summer, and I got one more, okay? And one of the ones right before this was in Boston. It was a dear friend that goes to this church, and they're moving here from Boston. And I I see Amy's in the back. It was her sister, Elisa, that got married. And I'm in Boston, and I'd never been to the East Coast, never been east of Denver before, and I'd never been with a group of Irish people before. And I'm not being racist. I just, there's not a lot of Irish people in Eugene. There's not a lot of anything in Eugene, just white people, okay? And so I'm with all these Irish people, and they know how to party. Oh, my, oh, my gosh. It was the loudest. I called my wife from outside the room. I go, these are the loudest people I have ever been around in my whole entire life. They were, they were so loud and so rowdy, and they can drink. Oh, oh my. It was, I'm not lying, am I? Okay? It was so fun. But I tried to tell them who I was because they didn't know me. And they go, who are you? And, and Dara, the guy who was getting married, goes, oh, this is Tim. He's the pastor of our church. And they go, pastor? What's that? They had no idea. I tried to explain it to him. They go, Oh, you're a priest. I go, no. <laughs> I'm a pastor. And they go, so then I told them what I do. Well, I pastor. I speak to you know, people in church. Oh, you're a priest. I got this over and over and over again. And finally, I just went, I'm done. I just, I'm just the priest. And so they go, hey, priest, come over here. Okay. And so I, just, I was the priest for a week. And I was okay with it because I realized, according to the verse we just read, we're all priests. That's what we are. 
God gives us all these sacred privileges, these priestly duties. We're all invited by God to go out into the world and be spokespeople for him, to tell people about God, to wake them up to the reality of his love and nearness. We're all priests. And lastly, we're a holy nation. Now, most people, when they hear that word holy, they go to the weirdest place. And some of you are there right now in your mind. You hear the word holy. When I say a holy person, what you picture is some guru on a mountaintop that's really wise, that's really spiritual and really nice, probably wearing Birkenstocks in a robe and burning incense, okay? And you think to yourself, oh, Tim, you're telling me I'm holy? I can be a part of a holy nation? I can't do that. I can't be that guy. I can't be like that guy. I don't want to be like that guy, okay? Or maybe your holy person is a holy woman, okay? That's great. We can't be that. We're not called to be that. We're not called to live on a mountaintop. Maybe some of you will be. I don't know. Maybe you'll be a monk and a guru. That's fine. But the word holy actually means set apart or different. Different. Now you hear that and you think, oh, I can do that. I can be different, and that's what we are. We are a wonderfully different gathering of humans here. We're basically, my favorite phrase is freaks with friends. We are different because our goals have nothing to do with power and greed. They have everything to do with love and generosity, and that makes us different, or you might say holy. And how are we made holy? We're made holy because we have interactions with the Holy One. That's what makes us holy. His holiness rubs off on us, so to speak. In your journey of following Jesus, you'll have experiences in your life. These experiences where in these moments the light bursts through and you see the reality of what is really going on, that the world is drenched in the presence of the divine and God's spirit is merging with you and flowing in you and around you and through you. Your eyes are open and you're aware of the reality of his presence and his nearness and his love. You're like Kermit the Frog that turned around and saw Jim Henson for the first time, okay? That's what it's like, these experiences. And these experiences are what sets us apart, what makes us different, what makes us holy. We're not better than the other people around us. We're just awake. And being awake might be the best definition of what it means to be holy. So we are a holy nation. You might not see yourself as a guru but God does, okay? Let me pray for us, can I? Thanks so much for the wisdom of Proverbs, Lord, that just keeps teaching us and changing us for the better. And today, give us the kind of courage, Lord, the kind of courage Derek's students had in this class to stop pretending that we don't sin. We admit that today. We have sinned, we're gonna sin, and we've sinned in our past. But give us the courage to take off our mask and to be real and vulnerable with other people and use our vulnerability and our honesty to strengthen the bonds of community in this place. And though we admit that we sin, Lord, please help us never to think our sin defines us because it doesn't. Remind us of the truth. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are good with muchness. That's who we are. Tell us that in our hearts. Whisper that into our souls every day. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Have a glorious rest of your holiday weekend. Thanks for spending some of it with, with us here today, and we'll see you here next Sunday. God bless.